How you doing, everybody? Um, I'm glad you're able to join us tonight, and we're just going to continue on with John chapter 1. Um, last week, we left off in verse 18. Um, yep, we left off in verse 18, just double-checking. And then we're going to pick up in verse 19 and hopefully get through verse uh, 28. So 19 to 28 tonight. All right, so strap in for this ride, okay? Let's do this. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, first off, these are priests and Levites. When they're asking, who are you? You have to wonder, like, you really don't know who anybody is? You're priests and Levites. Don't you guys know the scriptures? Because, as we've talked about, script, there is prophecy about John the Baptist. Um, and I'm going to show you some of that prophecy in the in, 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 a few verses down but there's prophecy specifically talking about John the Baptist so then in verse 19 the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem like the center of it all to ask who are you so I just it kind of boggles my mind but anyways um, it's it's just a very some take note of this for the rest of the time we're looking at this section is even though the priests and Levites know the scriptures they don't know who John is who's spoken about in the Old Testament, which they know, they should know. Secondly is, who is John? We talked about it earlier on in this study. John is part of the fourfold witness that is spoken about in John chapter 5, and I mentioned in verse four, verse 7 earlier on, back in verse 7. So we want to go back and go to that archive and listen to what we talked about in verses um, 5 and on. In verse 7, we talk about the fourfold witness. And the fourfold witness is God witnessing about Jesus, the Holy Spirit witnessing about Jesus, Jesus telling telling people about himself, and John the Baptist talking about Jesus. So there's four witnesses pointing to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So in then verse 20, John says, he answered them. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Because he knows why they're asking. Are you, are you the Messiah? He says, I am not the Christ. Because it's interesting because that's what everybody thought. Everybody thought that John was the Christ. But then he confesses, I am not the Christ. And this is why in Luke chapter 3 verse 15, it says this. Now, as the people were in expectation, see, they're expectantly waiting for the Christ, the Messiah. And they have their preconceived ideas as to how that Messiah is supposed to look, what he's supposed to do, what he's supposed to accomplish. Now, these people are looking for a political or military Messiah that's going to come and free them from the rule of the Romans. Right? So, but in reality, the Messiah was coming to actually free us from our sin. He was, he's coming to free us from our sin, from the bondage of sin. That is more important than being freed from whatever or whoever might be over you. But anyways, it says, Now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. So that's the big question, everybody. John the Baptist, he's coming in, he's doing amazing things. Like, is he the Messiah? Is he the guy we've been waiting for? But not everybody is necessarily studied in the scriptures. But then when you see priests and Levites, Levites sent from the Jews from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? You think, if anybody's going to know who John is, it should be you guys. But anyway, 
days. And they asked him, verse 21, what then? Because he says, who are you? I'm not the Christ. What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the, pro the prophet? And he answered, no. So it's interesting here. It's not, he did, they didn't ask. Are you, it's interesting. If they ask for, if, are you Elijah? It makes sense because he had the spirit as of Elijah. Remember, if we, looking back, um, if you look back at when John was being born, when the angel was talking to his father, Zacharias, and he said that he would have the spirit of Elijah. So, sure, are you Elijah? I can understand why that would come up because he's got the similar spirit of Elijah in him. What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the, and this is the interesting part. They don't say, are you a prophet? They say, are you the prophet? And he answered, no, because he knows what they're asking there. Let me tell you what they're asking. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18, this is what it says. Talk about the prophet. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Remember, this is Moses talking. And remember, Moses is a Christ figure in the Old Testament, as were numerous people. Joseph, Joshua, they were like Jesus figures, Christ figures. They embodied certain qualities that they were compared to a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior, right? They saved their people in different times, but... They are not the Christ. So this is Moses talking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And this is the Lord talking now. And will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's talking about Jesus Christ, the prophet. Talk about I will put my words... In his mouth makes sense he is the word of God right and he shall speak to them all that I command him so you're looking at this they're able to they know the scripture enough to ask are you Elijah and they know the scripture enough to ask are you the prophet so it's like they're contradicting themselves they know the scripture enough to ask these very pointed questions but they don't know the scripture enough to know who John is so it just proves their blindness, their blindness to what the scripture says. And I'm going to tell you why they were blind. They were blind because they're devoid of the Holy Spirit. Okay. You can be a Bible scholar. You can be the most knowledgeable person about the Bible in the world. You can be. But without the Holy Spirit, you won't understand what God is saying in his word. You won't understand it. You, And I think my brother... Pastor Dave was telling me the one time he was watching this thing about this lady who's a foremost Bible scholar here in England, but she's not a believer. She doesn't believe the Bible. She thinks it as she looks at it as a piece of literature, but she's a Bible scholar. If you ask me, what the heck would she know about the Bible then? Nothing, you know. So, because if she doesn't have the Holy Spirit, if she hasn't accepted Jesus Christ into her heart and hasn't been granted the Holy Spirit by that acceptance, acknowledgement of her sin. And confession of faith then she can't understand the scripture truly because the scripture is the word of god it's god's word basically on paper you know this is what god is saying so remember that there's something this is basically a lot of the point of what we're talking about today you know to know the bible is one thing to believe the bible is another thing 
But to know the Bible, to say that you know the Bible and don't understand what the Bible is saying, I would have to make the reasonable deduction that, that you if you read the Bible and you don't know what it's saying, either you don't have the Holy Spirit or you're not asking the Holy Spirit for his help in understanding the Bible. And that's an important thing to do. If you're going to read your Bible, my mom, this is something my mom taught me. Before you read your Bible, you pray. You ask the Lord to help you understand. Give me an understanding of what I'm going to read in the next few minutes, hours, however long it may be. Another thing she asked me to tell, to ask the Lord, she said, always ask the Lord for the desire to read your Bible. Because sometimes you read your Bible like, I don't really want to do this. And that's the flesh rising up. What you need to ask is, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I want, help me to want to read the Bible. And then not only just to want to, but to give me an understanding of what we're reading. Lord, speak to me. This is what you need to pray when you before you read the Bible, not after, not, you know, before you read, prepare yourself the right way. And then make sure when you read the Bible, you got a piece of paper and a pen next to you or a pencil so you can jot down what the Lord says. Don't try to remember it all because in the moment you'll probably forget it. Write the things down. Either write them in your Bible margins or between verses or write them on a separate piece of paper. Keep, keep a book. But uh, it's a great way. It's a good discipline to remember. Write down what the Lord has told you and then date it so that you can always look back and say, on this day, this is what the Lord said when I was reading this scripture. It's a great way to exercise that um, discipline of, in a sense, journaling. But it's a good discipline to have because it helps you remember. Because we are forgetful people. That's why the Lord tells us, read the word. Spend time in the word. And he would tell even kings. He would say, write down the law in your own hand and read it every day. So that you do not pervert the word of God. Okay, if a king's got to do it, I got to do it. Because if he can't remember, how am I going to remember? Okay, so sorry, I digress a little bit. But all good points. So um, what we're looking at here is that the, the, these knowledgeable men knew the scriptures, but were still blind to what the scripture was saying. So we look at verse 22. It says, Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? In verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he quotes the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. And he's saying, that scripture, that's about me. He knows the prophecies about himself. He knows he's the right one. He knows he's, the, he's that man. So you'll also find Isaiah, Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3, referenced, obviously, in John, chapter 1, verse 23, as we're looking at it. You'll also find it in Luke, chapter 3, verse 4. And you'll also find it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. So, and Isaiah 43 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's what it actually says. And this is, this is, this is obviously not, this is, I would say, more of my opinion that what I'm about to say now is this. I think Matthew, Luke, and John include that scripture about John the Baptist in their in their works because they knew who John was. They were all aware of the prophecy. And when John the Baptist came on the scene, they knew right away. They, they basically made, put one and one together and said, hey, 
I know that scripture from Isaiah. And guess what? This is the guy. He's fulfilling it. You know, they knew who John was, so they included it. Obviously, you know, understand that everything that was included in any of any scriptural book is inspired by God. God wanted them to put it there, but I think they also knew who John was and what he came to do. And remember, we talked about last week. What did he come to do? He came to herald the coming of the Messiah. And he heralded the coming of the Messiah by, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes as well, by preaching repentance. Because to accept, remember, it's just the same way. If you're a sinner, what do you need to do? You need to acknowledge your sin, which is repentance. To repent is to acknowledge your sin, and then you have to accept the Messiah. So think about it. John the Baptist, working alongside of Jesus Christ, is basically the gospel message. John the Baptist is preaching, repent, repent. And Jesus is saying, accept me and I will give you life. That's the gospel message. Repent of your sin and you will be given life through Jesus Christ. So it's an interesting way to look at it. And literally it just came to my mind. So lucky you. Okay, so so then verse 24. It says this, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. You're like, oh, it gets even deeper. I mean, these guys really are supposed to know the Bible. And the Pharisees are saying, hey, you guys, why don't you go over there? And you ask those guys, who are you? And what are you doing here? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Like, come on, guys, you don't know this? So it's very clear to me why they're asking these questions. The Pharisees don't heed the words of the prophets. There were many times, even John himself said, Woe to you, brood of vipers, right? Who told you to come out here and repent, right? Because they didn't think that they were they needed to repent. Remember, Jesus even said, I didn't come to heal the, the well, those who think they're well. I came here for the sick. I came here for the ones that need me. And apparently, you know, and when you look at those sections of scripture where Jesus is talking, the Pharisees didn't believe that they needed. They were righteous. They didn't believe, they didn't need a savior, right? So the Pharisees don't heed the words of the prophets. And that's why they're always asking for signs when Jesus is there. They're always asking for another sign, another sign. Jesus, Jesus even tells them, what do you need another sign? It's like in the parable of um, Lazarus and the rich man. And... You know, the rich man passes away. Lazarus was a beggar who sat outside the gate. The rich man would pass him every day, never gave him anything. So then Lazarus is being comforted in heaven and the rich man is in hell because he didn't believe in God. He didn't do the, he didn't work, walk in the ways of God. And there's a chasm between them. And the rich man says, oh, please just give me a drink, a drop of water. And it says, sorry, I can't come to you. He says, okay, but then at least go back and tell my brothers and and actually, if Lazarus, if you go back and tell my brothers, and he is told, he is told that your brothers, they have the prophets and the scripture. And if they don't believe the scripture, they're not even going to believe somebody coming from the dead to tell them. And that's the same thing with the Pharisees. It didn't matter who came. You know, Lazarus, the, this is a different Lazarus, by the way. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was raised from the dead. People saw him walk out of that. That grave, four, he was dead for four days. And they still didn't believe in the Messiah. Serious? You know, if, you, if I saw something like that, I'd be like, whoa, this is the guy. This is it. You know? Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And this is the reasoning behind it. The Pharisees did not have faith. 
Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we, we hear the word of God, and we hear the word of God, and our faith comes by hearing the word of God. Okay. The Pharisees, I don't know what they were doing. I can't really make a, a statement on how, how they were doing because they were teachers of the law. They were teachers of the scripture. How they didn't know God, how they didn't have faith, I really don't know. They had hard hearts. And they asked him, verse 25, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And this is what I find. I think they don't realize, they must realize this, but John is not just a prophet, but he's also a priest. He comes from the priestly line. If the, When the angel came to Zacharias, he was doing his duties as a Levite, taking care of the incense in the tabernacle. In, in, in the, do you understand what I'm saying? So you're like, he was a priest. That means his son is a priest. What do you mean this guy? Not, why are you baptizing? He can baptize. He's a priest. He's a prophet. So he might not have been the prophet that we spoke about from Deuteronomy, but he was a prophet. And Jesus actually says he was the greatest prophet. So he had the authority to baptize people who were repentant. But see, normally what happened was in Judaism, you only baptize converts into Judaism. You only baptize converts into Judaism, right? Um, but John was baptizing Jews. Uh, Jews are already Jews, right? They don't have to convert to Judaism. They're already Jews. So this was something that was blowing their mind in a sense because he was doing something that was never done. He didn't baptize a Jew. He didn't need to be. He didn't need to be baptized. So John was using baptism as a as a confession of faith, repent, and be baptized, which is in a sense the the symbol of dying, going under the water, and then being raised again from the dead, right? Coming out of the water because of being repentant of your sins, to be born again from your sins, a confession of faith. When you're baptized, you're like, you're, that's saying something. You don't just get baptized for the heck of it. You get baptized because you believe something. You believe something. And what when you get baptized, what you should be believing is Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you need him to die on the cross for your sins because you cannot fulfill the law on your own. And there is no way for you to get to heaven because you're not perfect. Heaven is for the perfect, like God. So baptism, like I said, is an outward sign of an inwardly regenerated life. So the baptism is the outward sign of what's happened inside your heart. So let's look at, we're gonna look at a series of verses right now. Romans 10, nine says this, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then you look at Mark 16, 16. It says this, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, like I said, baptism... Is, a, is this talking about baptism as your confession of faith. So it says, remember, one. let's go from Mark 16 and work our way back. Mark 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. 
Why is that? Because in 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So they all line up, meaning you believe, belief comes first, then the confession of that belief comes second. So you come to believe in Jesus Christ and then the what should be the natural order of events is then you are baptized as part of your confession of faith. That's really how it should be. So just so there's an understanding there. So and they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He baptizes because he has the authority to. He baptizes because if a person is repentant, they are to do a confession of faith, whether they speak it with their mouth or the baptism itself is a symbol or a combination of the two. You are baptized and then you confess with your mouth. I believe in Jesus. This is why I've been baptized. You know, when I remember when I was baptized, I was 30 years old and I confess with my mouth. This is why I'm being baptized, because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and so on and so forth. So that's how it went for me. And I was actually baptized in the sea and it was cold, but it was good just felt the dunking coming up and I did feel that new life you know that the Lord gave me like a fresh um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit because of confessing outright saying hey God you know I'm all in I'm out here in front of people at the beach at the ocean people are watching like what's going on over there you know there's no denying it at this point <clears throat> verse 26 John answered them saying I baptize with water but there stands one among you whom you do not know. So here's the really interesting thing. The one they did not know was spoken of in Malachi 3.1. Again, the Old Testament, which they should know. And it's interesting that John points that out. There stands one among you whom you do not know. And I said, why? Because of their unbelief, because of their lack of the Holy Spirit in their life. They can read the scripture, but they won't know the scripture because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So the one they don't know is spoken of in Malachi 3.1, and it says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is God himself speaking through Malachi the prophet, saying, I am sending someone. I am sending the messenger. You know, and that's Jesus. Malachi 3.1 is talking about Jesus Christ. And then John continues to say, And it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. So again, we're talking about the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. So just so you understand, John the Baptist is actually the older cousin of Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. John was born about, about six months before Jesus was born. So John is older than him. So for John to say, he who is after me in physical age is actually preferred before me. And we talked about this in the previous studies on Wednesday nights on this, on this checkbook, that he was before him in a sense of being pre-existent Christ. Whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. So John talked about his lowly position before the king of the world, the king of the universe who everything was created through. You know, John says, I'm not worthy to touch this guy's sandals. And 
the amount of walking they did back then in sandals, they're probably pretty nasty. And he's saying, I'm not worthy to touch that. So then in Acts 19, 4, it says this, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, remember we mentioned that, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying in Acts. So what we're, that's what we're looking at here. We're still looking, remember what I said at the very beginning is, the book of John is taking a very deep look at the deity of Jesus Christ. So that this will be a recurring theme throughout the book, throughout this chapter, is Jesus Christ, a deity, Jesus Christ, uncreated, Jesus Christ, pre-existent, Jesus Christ, before John, not after John, you know, preferred over John. Jesus Christ, the word of God, the, the life that is the light of men, Jesus Christ. So we're going to be talking, we keep coming, hitting on these themes. We talked about it very in depth in the first four or five verses, but then it just keeps getting hit on all the way through. And then the last verse says this, These things were done in Bethabara, or Bethany, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. An interesting point about this place. This is also the place that Gideon defeated the Midianites with 300 men. So it's interesting that this place is identified with um, basically being released from your slavery, released from the overlords that are over you. Back in Gideon's time, it's from the Midianites, right? And it was a miraculous thing that happened there because 300 men couldn't feed tens of thousands in, in, no, in no story. But they happened. It happened because of God went before them. And then the, the mod, this modern day story that we're talking about here is that the, 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 the Jews are slaves to their sin now. They're in bondage to sin. This is why they can't recognize when the Messiah shows up, even though they know the scriptures. This is my quotes. Even though they know the scriptures, because they're in bondage to their sin. So we see the same area of this Bethany, Bethabara, is a place of release from um, slavery. Physical slavery, spiritual slavery, and that can only come through the power of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can release us from the bondage of sin. So a couple of things we want to recall on this, as this is the last verse for tonight, is that from tonight's study is this. Only Jesus Christ can release you from your bondage to sin. Even if you've already accepted Jesus into your heart, you might still be in bondage to your sin. You might have habitual sin in your life. Well, Jesus can release you from that. So he says, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. See, we have victory in Jesus Christ. This is not a name it, claim it kind of thing, but we do have victory in, through Jesus Christ. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. Secondly, speaking about the Holy Spirit is this. You can read as much scripture of you as you want, but if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you will have zero understanding. And if you have zero understanding, you have to question something. So I'll leave that with you. What you question in that case, I leave with you. And that's how I want to close it tonight. So think about it. How much are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Is you allow, Are you allowing Him to expound the Scripture to you? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to free you from your slavery to sin? And if you're not, then you need to do a lot of work. Meaning, you need to do a lot of work in getting out of the Holy Spirit's way. So I'm going to leave you with that. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week.